everyone. You know, this week we are in Austin, Texas, which is where the American Transportation Association's management conference and exhibition is taking place. Our show today has several segments to it. We are going to talk with uh, with Rebecca Brewster about how we're starting to see now zero emissions become a part of the top issues in the industry. We're also going to talk with the product chief at, at Motive about how their customers are beginning to ask questions about electrifications that maybe they weren't asking a year ago. And finally, we're going to spend a few minutes with Keith Brandeis from Volvo Truck, who's going to take us around the Super Truck 2. You had a chance to read about that last week in, in Freight Waves. This week, we're going to show you the truck. We're going to walk around and we talk to Keith and find out just what really goes into making a truck like this. Hope you enjoy the show. I'm here with Rebecca Brewster, the president of the American Transportation Research Institute. And we have been talking about technology and how it is infused in the new study from ATRI, the annual study, on the industry's top issues. We see a couple new entries this year. One of them is overall zero emission vehicles. This is a first for the study. It is. This is the first year we've seen zero emission vehicles come into the top 10 um, and actually ranked even higher among our motor carrier respondents to the survey. And I think that's really driven in part by the the greater attention the industry is focused now on the mandates that are coming out of CARB on the West Coast, the states that are adopting the CARB standards, and of course, the regulations coming out of the EPA that are bringing this collective focus on what the industry is going to need to do, continue to do, but need to do in a more focused way to reduce the environmental footprint. It's interesting, though, that, you know, for the longest time, we've seen these regulations coming, and now it, it seems, and we learned this very recently, the clock is ticking a little faster. We're coming up on, on a 5% requirement for large fleets to have zero emission vehicles in 2025, and then the EPA weighs in in 2027, and that affects pretty much everybody. We could talk about things like pre-buys, but really, it seems that the consciousness and the need to understand what's coming and to get ready for it is that driving what we're seeing? It, it is. And it, we've, in some of our research, have documented some of the challenges with this transition. It's not that we don't want to transition as an industry. It's just we recognize there are some real significant hurdles to overcome. First and foremost is the charging infrastructure nationally for the industry. What's available now? What's the sufficiency of the nation's grid to handle a transition of all vehicles to zero emission or battery electric vehicles? Um, in our study, we looked at on a state-by-state -state basis, how much of the state's current electricity generation would be needed if every vehicle, every car and truck in that state were suddenly battery electric? Overall, nationally, it would be about 40% of the current electricity generation. But in a state like California, it would take over 57% of the state's current electricity generation. So it's understanding the challenges associated with this transition that helps you understand why you see now zero emission vehicles on the top 10 list. Both of the, the stats that you just gave are, are pretty much solid starters. Nobody's going to lose 40% of electricity nationally or 57% uh, of the state of California on electric vehicles, clearly. So it's really kind of putting uh, a point on something that probably is not going to be a factor, but we are getting started. There's probably a, a coming hockey stick, perhaps, in terms of adoption of these vehicles. But right now, as you say, we're, we're really both behind the fence and with public charging not where we need to be. This is obviously weighing on the purchase, which is, again, upfront costs are quite high. We've got uh, CARB is going to stop letting the big fleets have uh, all this money pretty soon. It's going to just go to small fleets. 
So there's a lot of issues out there. I can see why it would uh, get such a creep arg to the list this year. Absolutely. And, you know, again, kudos to the industry for all that they have done uh, to reduce their environmental footprint. And I think it's it's not that they don't want to transition to these vehicles. It's just understanding the realities, grid sufficiency, cost of these vehicles, availability of these vehicles. There are a lot of factors at play here. Sure. The second one that, that kind of surprised me a little bit, although not altogether, was that autonomous vehicles made it as, a, I think, number 10 for the carriers, excuse me, for the drivers. Um, again, was that kind of a fear and welding response? I think it's really a fear of the unknown. You know, you hear a lot about this is the solution to the driver shortage because we won't need drivers. The trucks will drive themselves. And so, you know, I think any of us in that position would be concerned about what that means for their job. And even even with if that's backed off and as well, we'll always need a driver, but your job will be different. That still has some um, uncertainty for for drivers. What does that mean? What will my job be? It's, and so I, I, I was not surprised to see that on the driver ten, top 10 list. You know, you when you did your uh, reveal, your big reveal uh, here in Austin, uh, you uh, mentioned sort of where things ranked previously. And at the very end, you kind of gave the uh, uh, honorable mentions, also ran through, whatever you want to call it. Um, would you see this issue uh, of autonomy perhaps rising a little bit or maybe falling back into the sort of the also rans? I mean, how, how big a deal will this be going forward? Well, I think that depends on the technology and sort of what, how we see it roll out. Um, but but as we've documented in our research, it's not just what the technology is able to do. It's what happens at the state regulatory level. Um, still a lot. It, that's a, you know, a big patchwork of regulations regarding autonomous vehicles. And that's going to impact the ability of the technology to advance in the marketplace. Well, we just saw in California, uh, Governor Newsom, after, you know, kind of staying on the sidelines, sort of, uh, you know, actually vetoed uh, the legislation that would have stopped uh, uh, heavy duty uh, autonomous vehicle. So uh, obviously there were people on the other side, the team's just on the other side, others, um, you know, fermenting, quite honestly, you know, the, the anti-questions, safety questions, things like that. Uh, most of the studies we've seen suggest that, that autonomous trucks, especially in kind of a hub-to-hub way, would be safer perhaps than drivers, than human drivers. And we won't know that for a little while if it's really true. But as we play these things out, does this continue to be a critical issue for I think it I think it will continue to be certainly on the driver's side because again, we all have concerns about, you know, the the, the longitudinal impacts on our careers of these things. And so I think I think we'll continue to see it on the driver's side. Right. You know, I was uh, kinda hoping when we got started with this that I'd come out here and talk to you about all these tech issues that made the list. But I was pleased that a couple did, and a couple that, you know, we obviously are, are paying a lot of attention to. Do you see any other technologies out there, Rebecca, that uh, you're either hearing about anecdotally or perhaps, uh, you know, share up with one or two votes or something like that, that, that uh, you know, potentially uh, could uh, find their way onto a critical issue to this. Well, um, when FMCSA announced last year that they were going to enter into a speed limiter rulemaking this year, that drove the issue up onto the top 10 list for the first time last year in 2022. Um, it fell out of the top 10 this year. Uh, but it is still on the driver list of concerns because we don't have that rulemaking yet and we don't know what it's going to look like. So, I, you know, depending on what that rulemaking looks like, it might jump back up. Um, we saw the same thing with the ELD mandate um, before in anticipation of it. It was high on the list. Everybody was concerned about it. But now that we've had ELDs for a while, it still shows up on the driver list some, but not very highly ranked. 
um, and it doesn't show up at all on the carrier list. Well, isn't it interesting that the speed limiters are, are sort of an underlying technology within autonomous drives? Right. That's you know, true. they're they're regulated and they're not going any faster than that, like the, the, the regulator says. But Rebecca, thank you so much for the time. Great to see you here in Austin and uh, wish you all the best. Thanks for having me on today. I am here with Jay Ratanagan, and Jay is the chief product officer at Motive. This is interesting, Jay, because as we've talked about with the uh, ATRI top issues list that came out, uh, we saw for the first time that uh, the zero emission vehicles made it. Now, you guys are into everything to do with vehicles, but now this is something you're having to work on. Yeah, absolutely. We've been working on it for the last few years now. We have more and more of our large customers, particularly focusing on understanding how to add electric vehicles into their fleets, how to use them effectively. Electric vehicles provide multiple challenges. A, there's a question of which vehicles can actually meet the needs that they have in specific routes. How do they manage them operationally? You know, when do they when do they recharge them? Uh, how do you figure out which routes to go on? Things of that nature. You were able to help them with a lot of that with your your, your data sets that, that exist already, but you also use third parties. Is that right? That's correct. Uh, we do have, um, we connect to these vehicles, we pull data from them, we understand their charge levels, ranges, things of that nature. Uh, but beyond that, we also work with third parties, which are specialists in battery management and things like that, and uh, in those areas to help these fleets fully understand and manage their fleets. How much urgency do you, are you finding now from from fleets in terms of getting ready for this? There, obviously, the hockey stick is a ways off. We know that, but there are adoptions. I think you've mentioned one of a couple hundred vehicles oh, already. Right. Yep. So, um, how much urgency is there out there for this? I'd say today. Every a large fleet that we work with has some form of program which is trying to evaluate and figure out how to fit these vehicles into their operations. Not many of them are at scale to this point, but everybody has some test, test ground of some sort working right now. What, um, what does this look like as you go forward in the next year or two years or five years in terms of uh, a portion of your business? Well, this kind of route planning and... Uh, electrification and infrastructure and all these things that go into this, much more than just going and filling up with diesel. Yep. Uh, exactly. How much of a complexity issue is this going to be for y'all? For us, we are actually very well positioned. The complexity on the operation side is real. There is a real issue of understanding, um, you know, given that when you load a vehicle, an electric vehicle, the range changes pretty dramatically. And when you uh, charge, the time you charge has an impact on um, the prices of the charging and even things like if you have your own charging infrastructure in your facility, bringing multiple vehicles to charge at the same time actually has an impact on the time it takes to charge. So the operational complexity here is quite large. Now, most of this can be solved with uh, the right set of data coming in. And again, that's where we really come in because we connect to these vehicles, we understand their uh, capabilities quite well, and we're able to pull real-time data, which gives you, at the moment, uh, knowledge of what's happening in the field. But you still then, on top of that, need to have these solutions to help you optimize using this data. That's kind of what we're investing in right now. Last thing I want to ask you about is is the whole, uh, I guess I call it sort of a supply chain electrification. You know, there's lots of people that are gobbling up land now to put in uh, uh, the charging infrastructure yep. and things like that. How much interaction would you have with those folks, or is that just something that's a part and parcel of working with the fleets? Actually, it's a really important part for us to build partnerships with these folks because, again, in 
in a fuel station, you don't really think about integration with the fuel station when you put a pump in. But with these folks, it's actually really important to understand their capabilities as well. And their, for example, pricing and things of this nature. Uh, and the time it's going to take to charge in a particular station. Because again, there are a large variety of chargers, things of this nature. So for us, it's super important to be well, well integrated with these uh, charge providers. Uh, the information they provide is just as important to optimize your network effectively. So it is very much part of our plan to do so. I guess the last thing that would be hydrogen, it's it's obviously trailing battery electric. It may or may not really be making it. Yeah. It seems to be getting a start. Uh, how would you deal with hydrogen? Same way. I mean, it's more of a drop-in fuel, but... It is more, more akin to a drop-in in fuel. Uh, there are still specific telematics data that you need from a hydrogen vehicle as well, just like there is for an electric vehicle. So we do need to work with and integrate with these hydrogen fuel uh, vehicles. The fueling does... At this point, seem a bit simpler, though it's hard to tell how that plays out as the infrastructure expands. Um, but at this point, it does seem a little bit more drop-in fuel, but you still need your special things with respect to the telematics for hydrogen vehicles. Sure. Jay, thanks very much for joining Absolutely. us. Absolutely. Thank you. Well, we're here with Keith Brandeis, who is the Vice President of Partnerships for Volvo Truck North America. And Keith, this is the Super Truck 2 we've been talking about now for about a week on our website. Opportunity now to walk around it with somebody who knows it really well. So why don't you give us a give us a little tour here? Well, good morning, Alan, and thank you for all of your viewers and listeners. We are so excited to introduce the Super Truck 2. This is a culmination of many years now of working with the Department of Energy, as well as 10 key partners for us to bring together the most advanced and innovative technology what the future might look like. And part of the objectives were to reach at least 100% great efficiency improvements over the baseline. Most of that comes from aerodynamics. As you know, that's where most of the horsepower and fuel is burned to push a long-haul truck down the road. If we begin here at the front of the vehicle, we notice that it's much lower than your typical Class A tractor trailer. And it starts with a low air dam bumper that especially contour to match this wedge shape of the hood. Considerable slope, as you might imagine, from the, all the way from the beginning of the hood, all the way to the top of the trailer. And we make sure that this lowered frame height and lowered ride height on 19 and a half inch tires is contributing to keeping the air out from underneath the vehicle and moving it swiftly towards the sides and over the top. Right. So with this idea of what we're looking at, this is not just cosmetic. This is purposeful, right? I mean, everything from the slope down here by the light, uh, all the way, as you said, all the way up to the hood, uh, and then finally all the way up to the very top. I mean, this is all to push air over and around? That's correct. And I, I could point out one of the most challenging areas for us was the windshield. If you look at the slope and, and the rake of the windshield, it's dramatic. It goes back considerably meshing from the face of the hood all the way slush, flush with the roof area. And then if you move a little bit to the side here, we even push the A-pillar back. So now you have a tremendous radius of this curved windshield. And that was quite a challenge to not only produce this glass, but to keep the optical qualities in place for the dryer. Is there something else about this windshield? Uh, of course, right behind it, we see, I see new mirrors. And of course, that's becoming a little more common. So the idea being that it's video inside, right? Correct. Uh, we're working with the Department of Transportation to prove that camera monitoring systems are the future. 
and they are safer in many aspects because you can change down on the optical angle, but you can make sure that where, you know, today West Coast mirrors have certain blind spots. A lot of that can be now covered by the camera monitoring systems. And we're working on advanced displays inside the cab to give the drivers information like where the road lanes are, where the back of the trailer happens to be. And we see that this could have both aerodynamic improvements as well as productivity improvements for the driver. Yeah, the, the idea of those uh, camera mirrors, we've been seeing them for a while. The video cams, they, I think as long ago as maybe IAA and maybe, you know, with Stone Ridge back in 2018, 2019 timing. Uh, right now, it's an aftermarket thing, but the idea is you're probably waiting until it's approved for factory install. Is that correct? That's correct. And this is a way to test it with a demonstrator is to get driver feedback and see how we can make the improvements. And the technology has made tremendous gains in the last five years. We've seen a considerable breakthrough, especially in both the quality of the camera lens, but also the monitors inside the cab. And we're working to get the drivers, if you will, typical behavior. I'm used to turning to the right when I want to see that mirror over there. So where should the monitor be? This is the type of feedback that we need in order to make the future uh, production intent. Well, obviously, there's a lot of things, including the paint job on this truck, that are not going to make production. But there are things that are going to. What would you say, as you know today, what are the most likely things to see their way into Volvo trucks in the next three to five years? Yes. So in regards to where we see future production ideas and features that will come to the marketplace, this has been our program with the Super Truck from Super Truck 1. We were able to introduce many of the aerodynamic improvements directly into our, our next generation of vehicles. And we're going to take these lessons from Super Truck 2 into future production vehicles. Not everything will make it. So we have a combined engineering and commercial teams that go through and look at each one of the innovative technologies in the sea. Okay, what is the readiness? How mature is this technology? Will it be robust enough to last in a heavy-duty truck? Uh, what is the market acceptance going to be? And what is the cost and the value equation? And then finally, can we produce this in scale and volume and continue to have the quality? So many of these design features are in that process right now and going through that evaluation. So one or two other things that might or look like early leaders, if you will, that, that might find their way into another truck. I know there were several things uh, from the first truck. Uh, one example that I can give is, is we look very carefully at how do we take the powertrain approach and marry it with aerodynamics. And typically, they were separate design and development paths. Here, we're actually talking about how much air is flowing underneath the hood through the cooling system, how much of it is waste, how much do we need in order to control the temperature and the, and the heat outputs, and make that part of the engine design as well, and, and optimize how much horsepower and torque to deliver to move this truck at a given speed down the highway. So those are some of the examples in which we're advancing and push, pushing the envelope forward for what we can see as possible production of quality products in the future. Now, this is a four by two, which isn't the most common configuration in, in North America, but it, it was done for a reason because my understanding is that, that you will use uh, maybe even a, a rigid chassis, something more common in Europe uh, for this once you put something to the back end, once you start hauling. Is that, is that accurate? Well, actually, the reason that this is a four by two is that we worked with customers to try to look at freight efficiency, which is ton miles per gallon. So everything we could do to take weight out of the vehicle and put more into payload was to stretch the target, if you will, and to see how far we could go. So we worked with the axle loading and, and the like and found out that here, a 4x2, 65,000 pounds actually does work. And there are many 
customer applications and use cases where they can maximize that payload and stay within those types of ranges. So it will not change it into, into a European vehicle per se, but it's how do we meet with the U.S. customer requirements that are especially sensitive for payload and especially uh, for that type of freight efficiency. I'd like to show you that there's no door handle, right? And it's flush all the way across the door here. And you say, well, where's the steps? Here comes the steps and the door. So you actually will enter behind the driver's seat and then move into the cab here. And this location would grab handles on both sides and very wide steps. When we're moving down the highway, of course, this door closes, the steps fold back into the side stairs. So this is, this is again, probably not something we'll see anytime real soon in, in production, but... This was fun for the engineers to have a hands-on learning laboratory where they could test some of these ideas and find out how large should the steps be? How do we make this opening the right size for drivers? What does it mean for efficiency to enter from behind the driver's seat and into the cab? And even rethinking, what does the sleeping area look like? And what do we do to make this office and living environment all one purpose? I think one of the early concepts of the Nikola truck showed this sort of entering behind the behind the uh, uh, behind the driver's seat, um, and it's something that you know clearly this is a almost well I don't know how how to describe this, but it's a open door, and those are wide steps by the way. That's pretty impressive. They are. Well, yeah. Alan, we were talking about freight efficiency. One of the ways to improve is, of course, lowering the total tear weight of the vehicle. So we looked everywhere to try to take weight out of the vehicle. So one area, of course, is the chassis. Here we're pioneering aluminum freight rails, aluminum cross members, everywhere we could take out weight, including the number of fasteners that we're using and the way in which it attaches to these chassis fairings. Of course, we want to continue the aerodynamics all the way to the trailer, and Wabash also produced us a special lightweight super aerodynamic trait. Okay. And and that trailer does uh, where does it? It obviously has the ducktail, and it's got lots of fairings. I'm sure. Exactly. So we took a systems approach, and in doing so, we looked at how do we make sure that the vehicle and trailer combination are completely optimized, making the, the trailer gap as small as possible with these extensions that are mounted on springs, as you can see, so that we can continue to have cornering with the trailer in mind, but also making everything flush from the very beginning of the bumper all the way to the end and the boat trailing the trailer. And you'd be looking primarily at like a, just a 53-foot dry van at this point. Is that what Wabash created for you? That's correct. Super Truck 2 program was focused on long-haul transport, where most of the fuel, of course, in this country is burned. Super Truck 3 program will introduce new regional haul type of applications where we're going to use day cabs with a van trailer. And of course, I know we're not going to talk a lot about Super Truck 3, but very quickly, that's an electric-based program, correct? I mean, the idea being that you're going to work. If you're doing a day cab, you know, that's what your VNR Electric is now. And uh, you'll be starting, I guess, with that. Is that correct? We have started Super Truck 3 program. It's a continuation of the learnings from Super Truck 2, but now focused on a regional hall day cab where we're trying to get the battery capacity and the, and the mega charging to match a 400-mile and quick turnaround because the dwell times have to be minimized so the truck can make a second or third route for the day. Sure. So we're now in the truck, and it looks rather spartan in here, and yet pretty efficient. You want to give us a quick read, Keith? 
So we wanted to rethink the idea of a long haul interior because we know that drivers spend a considerable amount of time off duty in various functions. It's their office. It can be their sleeping areas. It can be where they have food, relaxation, entertainment, many different things. So that seat that you're in right now actually converts to a lazy boy. And you can see the, the foot pet, um, pedestal here as well. So you can use this. You can use also laptop, whatever that you want, right, in this space. We also have looked at how do we treat the driver information systems? How do we take not just the mandatory gauges that you need to drive safely down the road, but what type of information comes up in the information screens, as I mentioned, the camera monitoring systems, and this huge windshield where the hood seems to disappear. It does. Yeah, I don't see it. You have an idea. So this means that you can see right down in front of the vehicle. Again, Bob was focused on safety. Well, thanks for joining us today, uh, Truck Tech. You know, the, the uh, ATA media is a place where you don't think of technology immediately, and yet it is everywhere here. We tried to bring a little bit of diversity to the show today. We hope you enjoyed it, and we'll see you next week. All of our shows, as you know, are on YouTube on the Freight Lakes channel. Uh, click on Shows and then Truck Tech, and you'll get a whole show list. Hope you'll check that out, too.